everybody. This is your host, Aram Elkumuf, and you're listening to another episode of the Product Innovation Series. Uh, today, I'm joined with the CEO of Notable, Pierre Brunel. Uh, he started his career in France, uh, worked in Belgium, Luxembourg, Saudi Arabia, and then moved to Seattle in 2018 to work at Amazon and is now building a collaborative data, na- data notebook that enables teams to use and visualize data together. Pierre, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome. So first question I have is when we had a chance to speak before, you know, you were, we uncovered that you're actually a very kind of technical PM. Um, so I want to kind of ask you kind of, how did you start in your career? What was your first role in product management? Yeah, my first role in product management, because my first role in non-product management was actually civil engineering in Saudi Arabia. So I think that's not very, very good. Uh, okay. right. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. You know, a lot of people ask me, how do you become a product manager and how do you get there? What's your first role? You actually never really start as a product manager. You end up in different roles that makes you build the skill sets that you need to become uh, potentially the future product manager. People speak about the mini CEO role or being an entrepreneur. I think for me, what helped me understand that I was going to be interested in this career was my first really paid job was a consultant at Computer Science Corporation, so CSC, which doesn't exist anymore. It was acquired by, I merged with HP Enterprise to become mm-hmm. DXE technology. And, you know, I was in the field, I was implementing a solution called Oracle PeopleSoft. PeopleSoft was acquired by Oracle for like 10 billion a long time ago. And what you do in that job, you go into a client, I uh, mean, their, um, you know, organization, you do requirement elicitations. So you go around, try to define the business case. You host a lot, a lot of workshops and you try to map their problem to a solution. You work with a solution architect and you build a solution for them, of course, that you can implement because it's your job when you work for a company like Accenture or Cognizant or whatsoever, because you try to sell your service, which is we're going to implement, we're going to do the maintenance and all of that, like very ERP style. Uh, old school sale and, and consultancy. So that's how I started. And when I look at it from now, it's like I actually developed a lot of skill set that helped me become product manager, which is requirement station, managing stakeholders, communication, running a project from ideation to implementation. So that was my first job, not as a product manager, but I feel like it helped me a lot getting there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, so after that, uh, what, what, what was your, what was like your your real kind of uh, first role in in uh, in product management? Product management. Um, so I was at Lux- in Luxembourg, Amazon. Um, I was not a technical product manager at that time. I joined uh, despite having a very technical background um, in decision sciences. I joined as a pure product manager. That's what they call. Um, when you work at Google or Facebook, they will you will not be called a technical product manager, but they will expect you to be very technical. Amazon, because of the retail business, you have a lot of product manager who are not technical at all. Um, mm. But what they do is um, they manage a category. They manage you know, part of the business on the website. So I was a product manager in the automotive category. So I was in charge of like the search experience for people who go to Amazon.eu, which is France, Spain, Germany, Italy, and the UK at the time. And um, and I was like, okay, how do I provide a better experience for them? How do I make sure they found what they want through browsing, through search, through ads? Are we missing 
categories are we missing selection? Uh, is there a new experience we can come up with? So, you know, I was in a team of product managers. We are, we are many. Um, part of the team was working on launching a new business. So for example, we launched at that time um, the possibility to lease a car on Amazon. So we partnered mm -hmm. with these companies and in Spain, for example, I know you're in Barcelona. Uh, I think it was like six years ago, Amazon launched the first online leasing kind of uh, business. Um, and we did it in Europe because it was not possible in the US. Um, yeah, so that was part of what I did and mostly worked on search experience, which made me get into technical because I worked a lot okay. with machine learning team at that time and the search team was in Amazon. It's, it's funny because I would, because leasing, from what I know in, in Europe, only really for cars only came up kind of recently, whereas in North America it was like predominantly, you know, the go-to, right? When you want to buy a car. Yeah. So what? How did that happen? Because I, I would, I would assume that they would want to first launch in, the in North America. Yeah. Yeah, in the U.S. Yeah. I mean, most of the team was uh, was from the U.S., so I guess they had the idea that it was going to work in the U. <laughs> because they're used. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you know it's actually a great question. I think the first, the first one was it was not possible in the U.S. I don't remember the regulation, uh, of and the. Um, the reason why I think it was about you need to have physical stores or like a presence and there is like, okay. you know, in every space, in every category, in every country, you have some blockers to be able to do things until you, you have check certain boxes. Um, but you know, more generically, um, Amazon EU internally, you know, the team, the CEO, Jeff Wolke and others always mention EU, uh, being a source of innovation for Amazon. Um, because the regulation is so different and as a market, it is very small and to make it big and to make it scalable and profitable, you have to target more than one country. The issue is France, Spain, Italy, Germany, we don't speak the same language and mm -hmm. you know, so we don't all speak English. That's very difficult to scale a business and you pass the, you pass the, um, the border and you have a different tax system because the border you have a different control um so that makes it very difficult so trying to find solution uh, for amazon that was like eu wise actually solved a lot of problems that either america didn't have also solved a lot of problems and then could be replicated um to the american market but leasing mostly i think because it was a, a trend that was coming like you said a bit late in europe like the gear, you know, and in France, in Europe, in Spain, it was like that gear. And now my dad was like 65 plus, he bought this new car, and there is no, uh, there is no gear. So I think it's, uh, even me moving to the US, I switched to it and I like it. Yeah. I think trends in the US, trends in Europe, and we all influence each other. But yeah, leasing, leasing, leasing is becoming a thing uh, in Europe more and more. And uh, Amazon was one of the first one to kind of provide a nice and easy experience to do so. Um, online. Nice. Yeah, I had no idea Amazon even offered that. Um, okay, cool. Uh, I, I, from what I from what I know, and let me know. I hopefully it's correct. But before you were, before you started Notable, you were already a founder back in France, right? At one point. Yes. Not at that scale, though. Uh, it was not a. It was not like VC back companies. Right. Um, I think I, I started. I don't remember what age, but I started my first company. I was. Maybe 15 or 16. 
and I still I still own it. Um, oh yeah. So yeah. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> it's a, it's a furniture business. Uh, so just okay. uh, kind of drop shipping plus reselling. It doesn't take. Okay. I'm just doing the, the accounting now. It's um, I actually learned a lot about doing the accounting myself. The it was basically rising from rising from a family family business. So my mother and other people I know were architects in France, and it's a very um, let's say regulated profession and activity. Mm -hmm. So you can only I'm gonna be boring for for a second here, but you can only just to explain the, the pain point which made me lead me to be a good product manager is like it's just identifying pain points and solving them in mm -hmm. innovative ways that's what product managers is at, at the essence of it and um, as an architect you can only in france advise um, design if you do you know interior design you can um, of course build the permit and the, the architecture of the house you can submit the permit you can look for contractors you can manage codes and if you are good and have the experience you can do site engineering which is delivering the project. So from mediation to delivery, you can do so. But when you're going to do interior design and say to your client, buy this 5,000 code, uh, buy this 3,000 lamp or whatsoever, you just redirect them to the website. Even if you source them, even if you have a relationship with a, with a seller, and you don't make money on that. I mean, that's mm -hmm. Amazon's marketplace makes money on finding objects and surfacing them to you and selling them. There's no middleman margin. So the only way to do it was like build a company to enable those architects to be um, an employee of those companies and basically use it as a vehicle to to resell. Because when you do B2B, you go to any, you know, when you go to B2B, you have 20% off automatically. So just, just by going to a company and say, I'm a company, I want to sell that to someone else with a consumer, I get 20% off and you can already just make a middle margin just by being a company. So I started like mm -hmm. that. We used to it to to other architects, and uh, yeah, still running. It's like a very small business, but it's fun, and I, I keep it because uh, it's a good it's a good memory and good experience. And then I, I built and sold website on, on using WordPress. So that was kind of what I was doing as a kid. Um, okay. And uh, then I had many other opportunities, but I never really took the leap of faith because I didn't find the right people. Um, I was I was working on. Um, when actually before Zillow came up with a with their competition on Kaggle to try to like build a Z estimate with a friend uh, who was data scientist at that time, um, we built a very similar kind of ML model. It was like a year before, and we had a lot of interest from like real estate agency to to work with us, but both of us had a great job, and we just didn't feel like it was the right time for us to do that leap of faith. And and the EU was a very difficult market. Zillow, mm -hmm. Trulia, whatever, the Redfin, Realtor, Redfin. fantastic website in the US. In the EU, it's very difficult. Tell me one website that does, that does what Zillow does or Trulia does. There is none because you have against none. regulation. Yeah, no, that's very true. No, it's really interesting about that uh, family business. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. Um, I think before you went to Amazon, you worked at Siemens as well, right? As a business strategist, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So why 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 did you decide why why Siemens and what did you learn from that role? So that was that was to be clear just a very short amount of time, six months between my two masters because I did a second master. So it was okay. like a six months uh, contract in Belgium. Um, 
I think Siemens is one of the oldest and biggest European company. So it was a good experience to, to go there. And they're trying to, so the business strategy, strategy is a very wide term, I think it's not being used a lot. You are tasked to, at least I was, with my team to come up with business plan and uh, presentations and um, let's say market research for the sales team to decide what to target. So if you try to like turn that into entrepreneurial startup terms, I was doing market research, ICP's definition, buyer personas, and coming up with sales deck. So, and it's funny yeah. because you can, you know, it's like it's the same kind of actions, but actually that's the way I'm, I'm describing it now, now that I know the terms and I've been doing that for, for a while. It was very interesting. I was basically, I was trying to sell biomass power plants to African countries. So I learned a lot about Africa, did a lot of research. Yeah. I went, I went there once um, to like trade shows. And uh, yeah, I was making cases to say we should get, we should try to sell biomass power plants in Cameroon because XYZ population, because uh, XYZ demographic and competitive landscape and all that, all that jazz. Um, mm -hmm. So that was very, very interesting. That was only six months, but I really liked it. And um, it was a good opportunity for me just to travel around and, you know, discover a new European country. Yeah. Um, and just from all the experience you've have, you know, acquired to date, where would you say, because I, I, we talked about it before that you really cared about collaboration around vision, short term, long term. Where would you say you developed these these qualities that really helped you now? I will say that's a great question. When you mean in terms of qualities, qualities to be able to like you know be a founder and run a business, or you mean something different? Yeah, I mean being a founder, you need to know how to collaborate really well. You need to have clear vision and strategy, right? So from your experience, whether it's from your family business to your experience at Siemens or other places, where would you say you kind of really built or at Amazon really built that craft or those qualities that make, made you successful with, with your current company, a notable? I think the first thing is that I never think I'm successful. <laughs> so I'm just trying to be successful at least in my mindset. I was like, yeah. I did, I achieved nothing. Like let's wake up and let's achieve, achieve something. And people congratulate me and like, oh, look at what you did. You achieved. You moved to the U.S. and you, uh, you work for Amazon and then you started your own company. You raised twenty-five millions in like a year and like, you, know, you look what what you achieved. I'm like, no, look at what I didn't achieve and what mm -hmm. left. So I think that's one of the main driver is, I, uh, for some of my friends or co-founders and employees, sometimes like, here is always you know looking at what we are doing wrong. I was like, because I just want to be better. I just want to improve. Um, so I, I look a lot at what we are doing great, and we are doing a lot of great things. And I'm you know very excited about what we are continuing, continuously building. Uh, but I think that's my first mindset is like, what can we do better uh, every day? Um, you know, celebrating small wins is fantastic. But I'm always looking at where where can I be more efficient? Where can I spend my time? um more efficiently where where what can i do better every day that's the first like mindset that helped me i don't know if i'm successful but i think helped me reflect on action on action and, and decide like 
uh, maybe I can adjust a bit. Um, that's my first kind of rule is like, what can, you, what can you do better? I'll say the second one is I always believe that, and that's actually the mission of Notable as a company is like to enable everyone uh, to work together with data is collaboration is essential to everything, like to everything. I, I know, like I tell people, I know a lot about a lot of things, but I know very little about, you know, one specific thing, which is I have a lot of bread. I can talk with many people having a 10 minute conversations, but not maybe a one hour conversation. <laughs> um, and so I always need someone to achieve anything. Everything I wanted, everything I did, everything I'm doing, I cannot do it myself. I, I could act something together in a lot of ways, um, but to make it great, you have to be a team. You have to bring different personalities together. You have to bring different experience, skill set, and expertise. And so I always believe that I don't achieve anything by myself. And I think as a CEO or co-founder, it's a um, great mindset to have as well. Is don't believe, be humble about what you can do. You need other people to achieve what you want to achieve. And, and being together and being many people, you can actually build something better. So... Mm -hmm. Going back to maybe a product being a product manager, that's kind of what we are talking about as well. Um, it's important that when you're a product manager, you're going to come up with new ideas and people are going to look at you for what we are doing next. That doesn't mean you have to get it right 100% of the time and have the full-blown solution. Get there with 60% of the way. You have to have strong opinions because you have to convince people. I'm kind of maybe jumping a bit questions, but then listen listen and get feedback and improve and come back to the table with like you know, solution number two, solution number three, solution number four, solution number five. I think a lot of mistakes I've seen is people coming up and saying, this is the solution, this is what we are doing. You have to come with a strong opinion and say, this is the solution, this is what we are doing. But someone brings a good point, a good data point, a good feedback, expertise. Um, you have to say, oh, that, I didn't think about that. That's the next case I didn't know about. That's the person I was not aware of. That's a market shift I didn't look. Um, and so I think as the CEO, as the product manager, it's very important to be opinionated because they are looking for both roles. People are looking at you for the vision, the mission, what are you trying to achieve, why, and you have to have a reasoning behind it. You know, they have, you have to believe in it for them to believe in you. But you have to be open to feedback and to listen. So I will say, always being continuous improvements, like what can we do better? Um, believe in collaborative work and um, being opinionated, but also um, listen to feedback. No, that's great. And you, you mentioned this before and you, you kind of touched upon it already where you said before, you know, plan for one thing, but prepare for everything. I was kind of curious, was it just over time in your career that you kind of learned that? You know, you, you mentioned some of the things now, but was there any specific point of time that you had that moment? You're like, oh, okay, like, this is what I have to do. Yeah, I think, you know, when I was a kid, I don't know if everyone has a dream. <laughs> I don't think so at all. When I was 13 or 14, <laughs> I wanted to be something very, very specific. I wanted to be an organizational design consultant. I wanted to design organizations. I don't know why. 
So I was 14, I was reading books about consultancy, wow. McKinsey, BCG, Bain. And uh, that was my dream. I was like, at 18, I'm just going to go work for BCG or Bain or Boutique and, and do a PhD about like organizational design, organizational structure. And like, it was like, why? I don't know. I, I like to like structure things. And, um, but then I realized, <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, I'm, 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 I think you make a plan because you have to have an all star and we can go back to product management analogy again, but make a plan, have an all star and commit to it, but adapt. I think everyone knows that everyone mentioned it in different ways, shape or form with different idioms, but commit, commit to something. And when you get small signals, change, adapt and commit to the second thing until you have an information to make you change your opinion. Um, and then people, you know, will challenge that with something very true to go back to building a SaaS business or being a founder or product manager is you can lose yourself pretty easily if you just follow each directions. People say like, if you just listen to, to customer feedback, when you build a SaaS business, you're actually not going to build a SaaS business. You're going to build a consultancy because you're going to serve big businesses and you're just going to build custom solution for each of them. That doesn't scale. You, you are not, you know, Accenture or Cognizant again, or whoever is, is doing that now. Um, so you cannot just build, implement custom solution. That's a business, but that's not a SaaS business. Mm -hmm. uh, so building a SaaS business is having a vision and mission. Those are the key pain points that I'm trying to tackle. But along the way, I'm learning that I have a varieties of uh, customers and personas and enterprise I want to serve different size, different industry. How do I build a solution that's scalable that can tackle the set of use cases that I'm going after? And that's where you have to adapt. And I always call that like kind of um, a cone. Like, you know, the cone is def defining the mission and the vision of your companies. And that's the flexibility you have within it. And the more you grow, when you start a company, like it's very small and you have like, you have to commit to like something clear. You cannot like shift priorities. You're going to lose yourself. and. You know, you're not going to have a competitive advantage. But as you go a company, the cone, you know, scope grows as well. And you build different set of products, different set of services. You expand um, what you, how you serve your customers. And I think that's, that's what's kind of driving me um, to say, plan for one thing, but prepare for everything. Mm -hmm. No, great. Um, the next few questions I have is, kind of more, I think, around your time while you were at Amazon. <clears throat> and I know you did different types of things at Amazon over, you know, different periods of time, but I wanted to ask more specifically, what were some of like the organizational elements, the, you know, activities, the um, functions that you saw at Amazon that you thought were done really well, that you leveraged in your company? or you know principles that you thought uh, were great that you use today yeah that's a great question my piano is asking me about what i didn't like <laughs> <laughs> sure there's oh, a lot of that a lot of both you know like everywhere the um, i think and everyone is everyone is quoting the same thing from amazon is that culture of writing uh there is something special about it and, and that's the reason why it has been organically adopted by other people and other companies and you know, we talked about that you you like also mm -hmm. that culture of writing yeah 
and you don't have to copy paste what Amazon does. You know, you can adapt. It. You have to adapt it to your own culture, your own company, your size. Um, but that culture of writing, there is one thing that's key to to it, and I have to give that to my wife because I was talking with my wife yesterday about it. Uh, like I told you, she's a technical product manager at Amazon as well, um, and uh, she was telling me it's very inclusive. And I never thought about that angle. It's actually really true. It's very inclusive in terms of if you onboard to a new company, a new team, and everything is written down, it's automatically documentation for you to learn about the team, what has been done, decisions that were made, the history in the context of how we are where we are. It's very inclusive because Amazon is taking it to the next level, which um, has been difficult to to implement at, at Notable, which I didn't push for it because it's very specific. And also, we are a remote company. Amazon was not for a long time. Um, when you enter a room, you know, I was in a meeting one day with Jeff Fulke and like only like VPs and and directors. And Jeff Fulke was on the big monitor because he was not here. It was but there was like 50 people in the room. And for the first 30 minutes, you do nothing but just reading. And when you are the one writing the document that you have been writing for two months, you just wait, <laughs> wait for it. So you just wait for 30 minutes. And then after 30 minutes, they usually used to go by order of like seniority. So Jeff Fulke at that, you know, that meeting starts and say, okay. And he starts page by page, line by line, uh, which I respected a lot. He was reading everything, like 15 pages, 30 minutes, he was reading everything and he will go like to a specific line and ask, who wrote that? Uh, why did you write that? Uh, and kind of challenge. Um, and I think what's great about it, and then people could put comments on the doc and then give it to the writer, or now we are using, you know, they're using online solution before I leave. I think they're using Quip, which is a company that was acquired by Salesforce. Um, and uh, people leave comments on the doc, and that enables async collaboration or in real time. So it's very inclusive for everyone. Everyone at any level can go on the document if they have access to it, leave a comment. Um, it's very inclusive because it's forcing you as well to work with your teammates. You write a doc, you share with your teammates, you, write, you, you get feedback. So there are many things I can tell about why, why the writing principles or culture is great for your company, not just for Amazon. But I think after a discussion yesterday, I really wanted to focus on inclusivity because I think it's something that people don't really highlight no it's great uh, i've been using it we've been doing process changes now where we follow the same model somebody has a process change they create you know the document under the structure of like the vision what's happening now what's the what's the pain point what's your solution what are the metrics um i really love it because it gets everybody aligned very quickly yeah and the biggest challenge, I think, in you know, many ways, in a growing company or even with a growing and remote company, is just like not everybody's always on the same page. And so, one other thing that I like that they do is there's the newsflash concept, um, where like, okay, there's here's all the things that happened, and you have to go through it to get familiar with like what happened. I'm like, fuck, that's so brilliant, <laughs> because like, I'm like. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, now what tool can I use? Because that I think was a proprietary one or something that they yeah. were using. I'm like, oh. but just that concept, because it's what Amazon's like a million people employee-wise or something. I think. It's huge. I mean, you know, you have all the people working in the in, yeah. in the fulfillment center. I think we put it well, yeah. kind of internal. But um, I think it's 
yeah, it's near million and they acquired more food years ago. So that merged, I think it's million plus if you count every, everyone being. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. I think on the business side, is I don't remember the number. I don't want to say something then maybe a couple of hundred thousands, like, you know, the tech. Yeah. The tech side, yeah, yeah. hundred thousand. I don't remember. Um, but yeah, no, writing is a big one. Um, did you ask me about writing, or do you ask me like all of them? Because I can go on and on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> writing is definitely one. What What other kind of like what other kind of maybe principles you really aligned or aligned with that you're using now? Yeah, the one I'm actually using now. So I have many friends who are working at Amazon who left and and founded other startups, and it's it's funny because. A lot of them that just replicated a mini Amazon. <laughs> and when we talk, when I talk with my co-founders, they're like, oh yeah, I have like the same hiring process, I have the same leadership principle, I do everything the same, and they hired like five people from Amazon. So it's like, it's just another Amazon doing something backed by Amazon. <laughs> I guess it's a good way for Amazon to expand, you know, let your employees, yeah. like the PayPal mafia or whatever they call it all the time. but. Let your employees build something, give them some money, and if they are successful, acquire them and they come back to Amazon. That's actually a good way to expand mm. when your organization doesn't allow you to innovate that much. Though Amazon is very easy, frankly, to. I heard a lot of stories when I was there. Um, oh, there was actually a real process. If you had a good idea, oh, you write a PR FAQ, uh, which is a press release with the FAQ, uh, six pages, or you can do more if you want. The trick was Amazon sidetrack you put everything in the appendix because the appendix doesn't count as number of pages <laughs> that was really funny when some some people were like vps or there so i was going in a meeting rewriting docs and the doc was like 35 pages and i was like no look at that these are six pages like yeah you have six pages plus 30 pages of appendix <laughs> so that you know when you're in the category in the business you need all those tables with all those metrics that you track from like the very top level to like bottom. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it was a, uh, it was a funny, funny note sometimes. Um, I think, yeah, what I was saying, Amazon was great to innovate because people had ideas, you can write a doc, put it, put it up the chain. And if it was interested, interesting enough, it will, it will go up and it might end up to, you know, the CEO of Amazon retail, which was Jeff Wilkie at the time when I was there. And if he likes it, he could give you a chance and a new team and go for it. And I've, I've, I've seen and I've heard that happen. And I think it's fantastic at a company that size to be able to like, um, let people with good, big ideas, um, think big. The, um, you're asking me, sorry, I'll strike. You're asking me about. About a uh, core principle. Oh yeah. You... Uh, and I went, I went sidetracked. That's uh, ownership is a big one. I, um, yeah, I was talking about the, the other companies. The, I took ownership as a big one because for me, it encapsulates so many other good principles and so many other behavior that um, I believe in. I mean, I, you know, I, and I want to try to see if I can lead by example, because I think at a company, when you when you start a company and you think about company values and, you know, we are a fully remote company, you have to really live and believe in your principles. If you don't, you are the first line. Um, if the, if the executives don't, don't believe in them and don't lead by example, it's not going to happen. So you have every day 
on Slack, in Zoom meetings, whenever you whenever you meet with someone face to face, you have to lead by example. So mm. I believe in ownership for many reasons because ownership has a loose definition, but for me it's really about two things. You think about the long term instead of the short term. Um, if you take shortcuts, take like well-educated and sound shortcuts like you really think about those are the trade-off and we can go to another principle of amazon that i like is which is the one-way door versus the two-way door decision which is you know you can either the one-way door is like it's a very difficult decision you have to think a lot about before taking it because there's a lot of impact and dependency and it's difficult to come back from you actually yeah, can't two-way door decision is like oh let's just change the color of the button on that website and you don't even need to you don't even need to write a doc about it. You don't even need to tell me about it. Do it. And if you think it was a bad decision after a week because of whatever data point, just come back on it. This is fine. We don't even have to chat. Um, so I think one way door to way door is very important. And ownership, it's forcing you to be collaborative because ownership means you need to care about others and not just yourself. So think long term. And the way to do it is care about the company, care about what the company builds, care about their customers, care about your team. And if you have done all of that, you would actually have taken care of you. So don't think about yourself first. Think about everything before that. And you will realize that through that process, you would have taken care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the two main things behind ownership for me. There is many others. And how it kind of plays well with other values and core values that we have at Notable, uh, other, that I, other behavior that I like to replicate. But yeah, ownership is the biggest one among the... 14 now, I think that Amazon has yeah. principles. Yeah, I was, I always look at them like, ooh, copy paste, copy paste. But I'm like, God, oh, I gotta be, I gotta be uh, unique here. Yeah, um, just a couple. Yeah. You got, you got to, you got to leave them. So you got to adapt yeah. them, adapt them to what you do and, and what you want. Also, adapt to the team that you have. You have 30, you know, 30 people. Um, maybe not all of them like ownership. So how is it? How it's a, it, as small companies, you know that each time you add a new um, a new person to that team, it's completely changing your culture. That's why everyone says the first the first hires are key hires. They are helping you defining the values of the uh, and what the company is and what the company is going to be. So um, yeah, you have to adapt, of course, the team that you build and their personalities. Exactly. And talking about. Hiring employees and productivity. How do you get now with your company Notable? How do you get your employees engaged so that they're most productive and and running, you know, efficiently? Yeah. I think there's a challenge of you know everyone. Everyone is writing papers or research about remote companies and being fully remote, hybrid, coming back to work. And I think we for the past two years we read as as much about COVID as about Google or Facebook or Microsoft or Amazon forcing the people to come back to work or not forcing them on hybrid, reducing their pay, they move around. It's like, so I've been, at least maybe I'm biased because I get the feed just about tech on Google, but uh, that's why I feel like I read as much about that than, than about COVID. Um, I think whatever is that configuration, they are at the office or they are not at the office. I really believe in building what I called, or maybe I read it somewhere one day, um, about the the product organization. So your company is your product when you are small, 
and after you know we talked about growing multiple products and services but you can always apply the analogy and building a product organization is is tying back everything you do back to the product and back to how it's serving the customers that you are serving and every role hr finance engineers design product project um marketing growth sales they're all here to serve the customers how do you serve the customers through your company what is your company it's your product so the way to having them engage is showing them that they have an impact on the product marketing have an impact on the product because they explain the product to people growth have an impact on the product because they are designing the onboarding experience they are doing um they are helping the product manager to like get feedback and data point about what you know the users are interested in um if you think about sales they pair a lot with marketing to think about oh this is what our customer actually care about do we do we have that in our suite of services do should we build a new product should we expand our product is it what the you know mission of the company is about um product they're of course trying to define what's next um, design its feedback loop and you know it's how it looks and how, how it's appealing and usable and engineers is just making it happen and so when you tie back everything back to the product and you understand that they all have an influence and everything they do has an impact to the product the company the customer i think it's a great way to get them engaged so i spend a lot of time and sadly i'm only remote so it's mostly on slack um i spend a lot of time just like i said at the beginning of this kind of podcast is having strong opinion but showing them that if they have a good case if they have a right data point if they have a, an idea um, they can see through if that of course aligns with the vision and the mission and just go out there and convince the rest of the team um, you're an engineer you want to build something go convince the rest of the team convince the product manager what's the pain point you are trying to tackle is it building synergies with something we have already you know um, so yeah I think you take any role within your company trying to build that product organization and and tying back everything back to the product and the customer pain points is the way to talk everyone I think being engaged and I'm very happy with the team that we have and uh, even this morning I had like beautiful example of like back engineer just like submitting a design request and say hey why the design looks like that it should be here xyz here's the reason and I, that makes me, this is crazy, but the thing that makes me the most happy is seeing that, is seeing an engineer or whatever role or HR or like whatever, giving feedback on the product and proposing a solution. I just, I just love that. No, it's, uh, this definitely requires a cultural kind of <clears throat> uh, mindset, which gives people that freedom and that uh, ability to go and raise and, you know, provide change. Um, I'm curious though, because you know, there's certain things in, I think in every role within any company that people don't like to do, you know, some of the boring parts, like maybe the admin stuff or whatever, things that people don't like to do. Is there anything that you've uh, found as like a good um, way to suppress those things or like how to get people to, you know, push through them or not do them even? Three things for me. One is about timing. Sometimes you think something is boring, just about you don't want to do it at this current point in time. 
maybe you might you might want to do it tomorrow or the next week. So I, I always believe in allowing people to do things when they want to do when they want to do them. Uh, something I do a lot. Um, so within a week, I have a to-do list. I need to send 30 emails, you know, update the sales deck, write a blog post, uh, reach out to VCs. Like, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to write that blog post on Monday. Okay, I'm gonna do it on Sunday, and you know, maybe on Friday I take a break and I work the whole Sunday. So I always believe in like flexibility in terms of time and timing, as long as it's you meet the deadline. Uh, but allowing people to do things when they want to do it, if we are coming to a timeline, a deadline, and a goal. I think it's one way to make things less boring. Um, and I think giving them the the mean and the power of influencing those actions and those decisions or those tasks is a way to make it less boring. Like if it's if it's a top-down decision about you have to do XYZ because you have to do it, it doesn't help to make something interesting. Where if you give them the opportunity to say, hey, you tell me if that's important and I let you discover why it is important and I, or I convince you that it is important by bringing data points, that's going to make it less boring. And um, I think the third one is just giving, giving it a meaning. Like why are we trying to achieve that? Going back to being a product manager on executive is explaining the why and the reason behind it. Um, but there are stuff that will always be boring and sadly we have to do them. But um, of course, but I'm always, that's a good way to like at least two or three things I'm thinking about when I think about tasks like maintenance, you know, we talk about keep the light on in engineering, is upgrading the infrastructure, the maintenance part, give, give it a meaning and, and do a storytelling around it about why it's important for your business, for your product, for your company, for the team. And I think that exactly. Okay. Okay. Great. Last, last question I have for you, Pierre is, you know, uh, I'm always interested to find out from people who uh, leave, you know, uh, a great kind of company like Amazon and then become a founder. Um, and I think Amazon creates many great entrepreneurs. But for you, what was the reason that you left Amazon to be a founder again? Yeah, mostly the people. Um... Of course, we had a good idea, and you know what we are doing is at the right time in the market. Uh, there have a lot, there are a lot of people interested in like a notebook solution for Python, SQL, R, and no code visualization. I think companies are moving to use more and more Python, and their data stack is changing a lot. Um, so they are looking for those new kind of solutions that replace their their BI tools or their SQL query uh, tooling. But I think the main one was the was the people in the past when I had other ideas. Ideas, you know, everyone is saying ideas one percent, execution is ninety nine. Mm -hmm. so we all have fantastic ideas every day. Um, the question is that do you have the mean to achieve them? And the first one starts with the people. Uh, do you have the right people, the right co-founders? Um, if someone is thinking about starting a company, I always like, if you can, don't be alone. <laughs> because it's a difficult journey um, and you don't want to put that on your partner <laughs> in terms of like complaints and you know and and sometimes when you're down it's because it's a lot of upside down um, so i think the people for me was very important like i knew uh, when i was going to start this adventure that I had the, the right set of people that i call um, believe in collaborate with communicate with work with 
and the, the first set of employees as well that was like friends of of my co-founder and i was like yeah i was very excited about the the people that i was going to start this adventure with amazing um before i wrap up is there anything that i haven't asked you that you would want to share with the audience i don't think so um <laughs> uh, i think you know we we speak we spoke a bit more about executives or being a founder today than being a pm um I feel like you started with like, you know, I was a very technical product manager. I think what's important as a technical product manager is actually don't be too technical. <laughs> don't, uh, don't get stuck into the details. You have, I mean, when you, when you know, when you know a bunch about tech that it definitely enables you to move faster because the feedback cycle with your engineering team with your design team, you'll anticipate the questions. So you can kind of make trade-off when you propose three solutions. You can anticipate, okay, that's gonna take six more months. That's achievable, that's not achievable. But you are here to build as a product manager, even if technical, and that's why Google, Facebook, and others don't call them technical product manager, they're called product manager, even if they have to be very technical. Um, you are here to solve pain points and build a business behind it. You are not here to improve the latency on the website. Uh, if you improve the latency of the website, that triggers a better experience for your customers. X Y Z, fantastic. But focus, focus on the the pain point that you are solving for, and, and then build a solution behind behind it. But don't start with the tech. The tech there is many. There are many people that will do a better job than you. Um, so understand them, being able to work with them and collaborate and communicate with them is fantastic. Um, being able to know what's feasible and what's not before even having to talk to them. But they are looking up to you for why and what are we building. And they will tell you how. Uh, both the designer and engineering team will tell you how. The designer to make it enjoyable and usable, and the engineering team to make it just feasible to, to be out there. So, yeah, focus on the why and the what, and, uh, and collaborate with the people to do the rest. So don't be too stuck in the technical details at first. Okay, I think it's a great uh, final final words. Uh, Pierre, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience, your knowledge. I really appreciate it. And always thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Yeah, thanks, um, thanks for having me today.